0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now, we are in a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts, and we've come as far as Acts chapter 6, and we've spent quite a few weeks looking at what's happening in the early church in Acts chapter 6. You have the widows, two different groups of widows, one group feels like they're being neglected in the daily distributions, they start complaining and gossiping, and the church is at a crossroads. It's very dangerous, it's a very dangerous and difficult time in the early church And we've learned a few things. The first thing we learned is that when everybody does what they're called to do, then the church progresses very beautifully and powerfully. When you do what you're supposed to do, I do what I'm supposed to do, you guys over here do what you're supposed to do in the will of God, the church operates in unity, and it operates in power, and God uses a unified church. And one of the ways we learned that was the apostles. The leadership hears about the difficulty, and one of the first decisions they make is, we will not leave what we're supposed to do. This is a problem, and it's a great difficulty, but we will remain committed to what we've been called to do. And what were they called to do? Prayer and the study of God's word. That is what they were to do. However, there is a problem. And so they came up with a spirit-led solution. Find seven men. With these characteristics and qualities. And we're going to entrust them to take care of this problem. So that they'll do what we need, they need to do. We'll do what we need to do. And we will continue to reach the city and beyond obeying Jesus in the call of the church. And I felt like it was such a great time. I felt like the Lord was leading us to such a great time. Not only in the book of Acts and the way in the life that we're living right now. But in these spiritual gifts. You need to know your spiritual gift, which leads us to the question, what is your spiritual gift, do you know? Because our time through the book of Acts is bringing us to the place where, okay now, how does God want to use me? And how will God use me? And how will he train and equip us in learning what our gift is, our primary motivational gift, and then a lot of secondary things that God uses in our lives, so that we might be used greatly in the things of the Lord. So to me, this is a very encouraging time. I love teaching through these gifts. I, I love teaching through in that revelation and then there just people all over this like oh, 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 and all of a sudden the light goes on and you're like, that is God's will for my life. So let me give you, before we even jump in to the study today, let me give you a few reasons why knowing your spiritual gift is so important. First of all, it will help you not waste time as a believer. Knowing your spiritual gift will put you so laser-focused on how God made you and where He wants you. You won't be dabbling in things that God never wanted you involved in because you'll be operating being led by the Spirit. Secondly, when you know your spiritual gift, you'll be most effective. You'll be most effective. You'll be most efficient. Because you'll be doing things that you enjoy, uh, that that God will be blessing, and there will be fruit from your life. And you'll serve with more joy. You'll be more joyful when you are serving in the gifting that God has given to you. It won't be drudgery to you. You know, a lot of people are afraid to serve God because they're like, well, God's going to tell me something I don't want to do and make my life miserable. That's not true. He doesn't want your life miserable. Sin makes you miserable. God gives you joy. Don't forget that. And so when you know your gift, you're gonna be operating in joy. Not only that, you'll have less frustration. You'll be comparing yourself a lot less because you'll just be content with who God made you. You'll be less double-minded. And you'll, this is so important, when you operate in your spiritual gift, you will experience less burnout. Now, it's it's too bad in the church today that burnout has become like a trophy. Well, you know, I'm just gonna serve the Lord until I burn out. Can I just say on behalf of God, he does not want you to burn out. You are no good to the kingdom when you're all burned out and beat up and you don't care. Like he wants you to serve with joy and in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just be clear. When you serve God, you will get tired. Being tired and burned out are two different things. I mean, the ministry is described in the Bible as a labor of love. And one of the definitions of that Greek word is to labor to the point of exhaustion. You will be tired serving. You get involved in people's lives in their worst days, you get involved in their lives on their worst situations, you have resistance and fighting for the spirit like spiritual warfare, you will get tired. But it is not the will of God for you to burn out. That is no trophy. Say, "Hey, you know I'm new to this church and well what happened in your last church I burned out." Well, I'm sorry. It was never God's will for you to burn out. And you know, the next step after burnout is you get all mad at God and then you just set your gifts aside and you're like, I don't want to ever serve like that again. You don't have to. It's not God's will for you to do that. We, we tell folks here at Calvary, if you're close to burnout, take a break and then talk to us and let's find out how you got there in the first place. It's different though. You go, oh, Ed, I'm tired, I'm tired. Well, then the answer to that is get some sleep. <laughs> Rest. That's why God gave us a pattern in life, a rhythm. Live this rhythm at the bare minimum. Six and one, six and one, six and one. You go, what, what is that? Well, you work six days and you rest the seventh. And even in our culture, they've changed it. They've given you a bonus. Five and two, five and two, five and two. And the whole point is this. You were designed to work. You were, do you know work preceded the curse? I know some of you are, I hate work. It's part of the curse. Not true. Work preceded the curse. If you're with us on our midweek Bible study, as we study verse by verse through the book of Genesis, we learn that Adam was given responsibilities far, long before sin entered in. And he enjoyed them. And he had fun working. And so in redeeming from the curse, you want to know your spiritual gift. and Because you serve and operate in the Spirit, you won't be trying to accomplish things in your flesh. So as we go through, I want to lay out for you how we're going to go in each study. We're going to follow the same pattern for each study. Number one, the first thing we'll do is define the gift. Number two, then we'll see how it operated in the life of Jesus. Remember, Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. And we'll see how the gift operated in his life. Thirdly, we'll look at a New Testament example or two for each gift. And then finally, we'll look at some hazards and dangers or even some personality traits of the person that has this gift. And that will help kind of clarify whether you operate in the gift or not as you see some of the characteristics of the people that have this gift. And so let's start with the definition of the gift. Today's Bible study is the gift of prophecy. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 first and read it, and then we'll look at the definition In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6, it says, "...having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let's use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If it's ministry, or we might define that as service, then let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so the gift of prophecy is our focus today. And each of the gifts fall into at least one of two categories, sometimes they have both. They're either a verbal gift or a nonverbal gift. And of course, some of the gifts would overlap and they can be both, but just to list them out so you can look ahead, let me list them out and tell you which is which. So the gift of prophecy is a verbal gift. The gift of service is predominantly nonverbal. The gift of teaching is a verbal gift. The gift of exhortation, a verbal gift. The gift of giving is a nonverbal gift. The gift of leading or administration is both, as well as the gift of mercy has an element of both. We learn today the gift of prophecy, it's a verbal gift. And here's here's a small definition. The gift of prophecy is declaring the truth. Declaring the truth. The word prophecy, part of the definition, is to cause to shine. The idea of illuminating something. And so with that in mind, God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take his written word and cause it to shine. God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take his word and cause it to shine. Jot it down in 2 Peter chapter 1 in verse 19 it says, "And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts." Knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now when we think of the word prophecy, we almost immediately think of the Old Testament definition, the Old Covenant office of the prophet. And immediately we associate prophecy, prophet, to this phrase, thus saith the Lord. And when we look at it that way, We have to remember that there was a time where God used prophets to foretell the future, to give words to people that were going to predict the future, words of warning, words of judgment, that's foretelling. But the Old Testament office of the prophet and the foretelling of prophecy has ceased. It no longer exists. It has been replaced with the new covenant New Testament gift of prophecy. So nobody can come around here and go, I am the prophet, and thus saith the Lord. They have to change their voice for that in order to get your attention. Thus saith the Lord. No, 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 no. No, that, That has passed. That is over. God now moving in his spirit, his spirit dwelling in us. He has now given some men and women the ability to not foretell his word, but rather to forth-tell, F-O-R-T-H. God's word is written and finished. We are not to add or subtract from it. And so now we have the privilege in the new covenant to know what God has said, and then God gives a supernatural ability to make that word come alive in someone's life very precisely and very focused, and it's happened to all of us, even if you haven't recognized it in your life. And the definition, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The definition or the answer to the question why, why has God, what, what's the purpose? Why has God given this gift to the body? Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse three. The definition's given to us right here. It says, but he who prophesies does three things. And it could be all three things at once. It could be one at a time, two at a time. But three things come from a real, true exercise of this gift. Speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. We'll get to those in a moment. So the gift of prophecy is speaking forth the word of God through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Someone exercising this gift are not making things up in their own minds. They're not speaking on their own authority. However, the church world is filled with people today that take the title upon themselves and just make stuff up, false prophets. And again, we'll get to that a little bit later as well. No, a person that's truly exercising this gift is speaking forth the word of God with accuracy and factual intelligence that God would give to them for the situation. Now, in describing a person that speaks with a prophetic gift, that person often sees things in sharp contrasts, sharp contrasts. We might describe a person like that today, that they live in a very black and white world. For the person with the gift of prophecy, there is no gray areas for them. As a matter of fact, sometimes they'll even say, gray areas don't exist. It's black or white. And? They usually don't see gray areas at all, and with, as a result of that, someone with this gift isn't really noted for their tactfulness or diplomacy. Instead, they're known by being bold or outspoken. They're known for being very persuasive. They're known in their leadership. They're often grieved deeply by sin. They are known as being serious as people who don't hold back, don't mince words, (laughs) and many times they aren't known much as having a very developed sense of humor, very serious. And having the gift of prophecy does not mean you have the office of a prophet. It means it's a gift that you exercise. Those two things are very separate and distinct. And many people in the church will have the gift of prophecy. It's a very profitable, important gift to exercise. In fact, Paul encouraged all believers to covet the gift of prophecy by saying in 1 Corinthians 14:1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Or you could say, especially that you may use the word of God in a precise way in other people's lives. We are to desire all the spiritual gifts, but especially prophecy because it's so valuable. So valuable. Let's take a closer look now at the three purposes of prophecy. First of all, through prophecy, God speaks to the church to edify us, for edification. The word means to be built up. It means to be strengthened. And how many of us need a regular dose of strength in weakness to be built up in challenging times? This also word can also speak of encouragement. We need people in our lives that will come and speak to us and, and encourage us to trust in the Lord, to encourage us to lay hold of the promises of God, to secure a position of strength in Jesus. The spirit will speak forth his words that build us up and increase our faith and fortify our relationship with Jesus. That's the gift of prophecy. Secondly, through prophecy, God exhorts us. And I want to give you a heads up going forward that you'll find that the gift of prophecy and the gift of exhortation actually overlap. And so they sound a lot like they're the same, but they're not. Prophecy has exhortation involved, but it's not exclusive. Exhortation. And then the third is that prophecy has the ability to comfort us. There will be words of comfort. Now, we all like the comfort, amen? We like comfort. We want people to, if we're going through it, we want words of comfort. We want to be encouraged. Some, we may want a a shoulder to cry on, and there are times for that. We love comfort. We're not so excited about exhortation. We're not so excited about the exhortation part of life. And, and usually in the New Testament, the same word is used to dis, is, that's defined exhortation. It's the same word in the Greek that defines comfort. Uh, they use the same word, different contexts. And, and so exhortation actually is a form of comfort, even though it may not feel that way. But for example, comforting. When you think of comfort, you think of God sending you someone to pick you up to pick you up, you know, just to build you up, pick you, pick you up. You've fallen down, you need somebody to come alongside, go down, pick you up and help you. And we like that, oh hey, please, come help me, come help me, come help me. But when, when you need something different than that, God may send you someone with a word of exhortation. And while encouragement and comfort will pick you up, you know what exhortation does? It pushes you on. And who in the world likes to be pushed around? Nobody likes to be pushed around. But there are those seasons in your life where you need to be pushed on. It's no longer, hey, it's going to be okay. We've been telling you that forever. It's time to get up, and it's time to move on. It's time to lay hold of the promises of God. And so God, using the gift of prophecy, will send somebody into your life so that you'll be moved on. It's not God's will for you to stay stuck. It's not God's will for you to stay immovable. And at the same time, we need comfort. We need people to come and tell us and remind us that God is still on the throne, amen? God is still on the throne, that he's watching over us, that he loves us, that things are working together. God is working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose, that God is in control, that he rules from heaven, and we need both. I was just speaking with someone recently. I had handed them a book in their grief called uh, besides Still Waters by Charles Spurgeon. It's a little devotional I found many years ago after my son passed away. And Spurgeon was a, was a stellar pastor in the 1800s. An unbelievably gifted man. And as I was handing this book over to him, I was warning them. I had to give them a little bit of warning. And the warning went something like this. You know, most of this book is super encouraging. Most of this book's gonna just really minister to your heart. But there will be those days when you turn a page And you get really, really mad at good old Charles Spurgeon. Now, he doesn't really care because he's in the presence of the Lord, but you're still mad at him because he says something very hard to hear. And you don't really want to hear it, but you need to hear it. So even after Charles Spurgeon has gone home to be with the Lord and has been there for many, many years, through his teachings and his writings, the gift of exhortation is still operating through him. Because you need people in your life to tell you the hard things, to share those things with you so that you can get up and move on. Turn over to Luke chapter four. Let's move on to how did this gift operate in the life of Jesus? How did this gift operate in the life of Jesus? Luke chapter four and beginning in verse 16 is a familiar passage. Jesus comes to his hometown and goes into the synagogue and he takes the scrolls and he opens them Write to Isaiah 61, what we would know as Isaiah 61. Pick up in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. After Jesus reads it, he closes the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Verse 20, and all the eyes of all that were there in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, speaking forth a word of prophecy, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Remember Jesus, 100% human, being led by the Spirit here, being indwelt by the Spirit, 100% human, 100% God. He comes into the synagogue. He opens up the scrolls. It happened to be, I believe, the weekly reading in Isaiah, what we know as Isaiah 61. And he proceeds to read Isaiah 61, verse 1, and a portion of verse 2. He stopped, as you read in Isaiah 61, 2, he stopped at not reading the whole thing. And I believe he stopped on purpose... Because it was the Father's will for him to give a prophetic word to those in the synagogue. And the prophetic word from God that was built to exhort them, that was designed to build them up, to bring them to the saving knowledge of Messiah, the, the, the prophetic word is, this is now fulfilled. This is it. Here is the word, and it is fulfilled. But he stopped short. Uh, the rest of the verse, because the rest of the verse talked about the day of the vengeance of God. The rest of the verse talked about comforting those who were mourning, and I believe he stopped there, because the prophetic word stopped there, and that this would be yet future. He was not only giving them Messiah has come, because you know the rabbis of the day, they absolutely knew this was a messianic passage. They knew this was speaking of the coming of Messiah. They knew, but what they weren't seeing was, number one, they didn't see Messiah in front of them, and number two, they didn't see a duality in the coming of Christ. That in his first coming, he would come to do all these things, to preach, to help, to save, to heal, to bring liberty. He would bring all those things, and then he would ascend into heaven. It would be in his second coming that judgment would come, that all of the the world would commence and be completed and... The wonderful ministry of Jesus comes in two ways. And he tells them, look, this is the word. You hear it? You hear what I read? Yes. It's coming to pass. It's right now in front of you. And they either had a choice to believe it or to reject it. Now, number three, how did it operate in the New Testament? I'm going to to give you a reference and then we're going to look at a reference. But the first one is in Luke chapter 1 in verse 67. So you can just turn back here. We have a man by the name of Zacharias who is operating with the prophetic gift. And he is speaking forth the word that hasn't. he doesn't know that what he's saying right now is actually going to be New Testament words that are going to be contained in the Bible. Now, when you and I moving forward, now that the Bible has been completed, any prophetic word that comes through your life will confirm what's been written, will not add to it. You do not have permission from God to add to the word of God. You are forbidden. He is not writing new scripture today. So in the operation of this gift, it is speaking forth the word. It is giving a light upon something that's already been established to apply it very personally to the person you're speaking to. But notice what he says in verse 67. Now his father, John the Baptist, this is John the Baptist's dad. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, and he spoke forth the word of God, telling everyone how God would use his son, John. Very encouraging. Turn over to Acts chapter two. If there is a brother in the Bible that operated in this gift the most, I think it would be Peter. God used Peter in amazing ways. Perhaps the only other person that operated in the New Testament more would be Paul. So you have Peter and Paul using this gift often. And here in chapter two of Acts, You have the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, they accuse, as the Holy Spirit comes on these believers, those that were watching accuse them of being drunk, and then Peter just gets up and is in the Spirit, and speaking forth the Word, and preaching the Gospel, and thousands get saved. And then notice here in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, you have Peter exercising this gift once again, and he says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. You know, he's prophesying this promise into your generation. This promise is your promise. This is for your kids. This is for little Adeline that I prayed for, and her brother. And and this is for your kids, and your grandkids, and your great-grandkids. Peter is sharing right now for the people in front of him and speaking a word of prophecy into your life even today. That's how powerful prophecy is. Then he says in verse 40, with many other words he testified and exhorted them that be saved from this perverse generation and then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And here is the work of God on this glorious day where Peter is exhorting and prophesying at the same time God using him in amazing ways. I'm also reminded of another example with Paul. You remember in Paul's letter to Timothy, that young pastor, Paul encourages Timothy by saying this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. So one of the things Timothy was to hold on to was not just his calling, but the prophetic word of his gifting and calling that was given to him. He says, don't forget that, Timothy. Not only do we lay hands on you, but we spoke words of prophecy over you. And it reminded me, because when I, right prior to moving to Colorado, I received many words of prophecy to come here. I needed a lot of faith to move. It was a very scary thing what God was calling us to do. And one of the greatest words of prophecy that came to pass in my life was spoken over me on the stage as my pastor was praying over me. He had laid hands on me and said, God bless Calvary Chapel Aurora before it ever existed. And when we moved here, it was tested. Because there was already something going on in Aurora, and the past I sat down with the pastor and said, hey, you know what, I came with a word of prophecy, God told me to come to Aurora and plant a church, and his answer was, you need to find another city. Oh, well I don't want to stir up any strife, I don't want to stir up any difficulties, and so we did find another city. We, we started a little Bible study in our house in Parker, and started inviting people there. And yet, God's word, if it's a true prophecy, it will come to pass. And here we are, 23 years later, in what God has desired to do. And that's what Timothy was there to be encouraged of. So how do we see it operating today? How do we see it operating for the person that may have that? Well often, what comes to mind is a strong impression or thought, especially when you're reading the Bible or listening to Bible study, you have an impression or a thought. God impresses you a word an exhortation, a correction, an encouragement, and you then are responsible to be obedient to that. Two things usually happen. You have the thought or impression, and then you have the person that God wants you to share it with. This happens all the time. It happened to me yesterday morning as I was doing my morning devotions. God puts a man on my mind as I was reading the text and as I was reading the text, I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to pray this scripture over that man. I don't want you to send it to him. I don't want you to call him. Uh, he doesn't really want to talk right now. So just pray over it. And that's what I did. I prayed over that scripture into his life. And I fully expect at some for the brother to come back and go, you won't believe this scripture in my heart, and my mind. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was me. No, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. I prayed for you that morning. I put it in my journal. I prayed for you this scripture. I prayed over your life, and I didn't call you because God didn't tell me to call you, and I didn't text you, God didn't tell me to text you. But when God gives an impression, a word, a scripture, you know what happens, you get this scripture, you're reading in some obscure passage in the Bible, uh, and you know it's like, uh, and, uh, and Abraham saddled his donkey and went up the hill. And the Lord says, I want you to send that to so and so. And you're like, what? can I send John three sixteen saddled his donkey? What, are, what does that have to do? And, and the Lord's just going, I didn't ask you for your opinion. I want you to send it. And your only response is just send it. And let the Lord sort it out, what do you want, how he wants to use it. But that's how it starts. Like, you just, like, like when you're expecting, God, I want to hear from you. That's what you're, God, I want to hear from you. I, I want, I, as you're ministering to me in your word, it could be that you want your word to come through me. And being a verbal gift, you need to communicate it. And as you obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he leads you in sharing the word with those he sent you. And it's very natural, right? Don't go around if you have this gift. Please don't go around and say, God has given me a word, thus saith the Lord. That's weird. And God is not weird. You might be weird. God is not weird, he doesn't cause confusion. Doing it that way puts you in some, oh, like you're so important and you're the only one that has a word. No, that's not how this gift operates at all. And I know people have modeled that and people are doing that on YouTube right now, like they're the only ones that have a word. Most of the people that are saying that have no word from God at all. They're making it up, telling you lies and all kinds of weird stuff to get you to follow them. That's not from the Lord. It's most of the time when the gifts operate, They operate supernaturally, very naturally. Supernaturally, but very naturally. I don't need to raise my voice and put my hands up and yell at you, you're standing right here. And plus I have a microphone, so now some of your ears have popped, because I don't need to do that. Do you know, some people ask, well I don't see that gift operating in this church at all. No, no, no. Every time a Bible study is taught, the gift of prophecy is being operated. All the gifts are operated any time you listen to a Bible study. Like, it is very common. I mean, you think when a Bible study is given to thousands and thousands of people, that God loves every one of us individually. So there is a part of the text we're going to be teaching, but then God has an application for you and you and you and you from the interpretation. And it's not uncommon for someone to reach out to me. You know, they listen to a Bible study, uh, and then they they move on, maybe move to another state, and then a couple years later, they they call and go, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, you will not believe what you said in that Bible study transformed my life. I mean, it hits so hard. I, I don't, and, and, and it's amazing the life change that's happened since we moved and all that. And on the list goes. And you know, my answer to that is pretty predictable. And part of my answer will always include, what did I say? What did I say? And sometimes it's not two years. Sometimes it's a couple weeks. And when I ask what did I say and they share it with me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And you know what? It was only in your service. I didn't use that illustration. I didn't say that in another service. It was only with the service you were in. And now we know why. It was just for you. And that happens time and time and time. We're all listening to the same Bible study. But God has a word. He has a prophetic word that he will operate through the gifting. You turn on the radio, listen to a Bible study, there's a prophetic word. Some of the Bible studies we air on abounding grace are 10 and 15 years old. And when you're listening to Pastor Chuck, those are 30, 40, and 50 years old Bible studies. And yet the Holy Spirit still speaks through the teaching of God's word. How does he do that? Through the prophetic. He speaks into our lives. Now, talking about false prophets as we wind down now, because we're talking about prophecy, I want to give you a few tests to test whether a prophet, somebody that claims to be a prophet, is true or not. Number one, is what they're saying is the prophecy they say they're giving line up with God's Word. If God is inspiring someone to speak by His Spirit, then what revealed will never contradict the Bible, ever. They will never say, well, I know what the Bible says, but you got to read this other book, and that will tell you real. No. It will never contradict the Word, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Secondly, Does the prophecy or the word they're sharing with you, does it line up with the facts? Is it the truth? Right, because God is truth. Jesus came in spirit and in truth. And so if they share something with you and it's not true, it is not from God. Are you guys with me so far? You guys on the radio, online, you're with me? Stay with me, because this is very important. You know, when you were born again, and you became a believer and a follower of Christ, you don't just lay your common sense at the door. God actually develops a deeper common sense, so if somebody comes with you with a lie, like, it's not from the Lord. And somebody says, well, I have a word from the Lord, but what you're saying is just not true, so I know it's not from the Lord. I can reject it immediately. You know, it's interesting with pastors, and you, you may even feel this way with me, there's a couple of things people believe about pastors that you need to understand. And they they believe, you know, incorrectly, if you will. One is, many, many people think that, and I'll just speak for myself, as a pastor, many people think that I know more than I actually do. That I just, they just assume I know everything that's ever happened on every single planet, like everything that's happened, but I don't. Many times when you share something with me, it's the first time I've ever heard it. Didn't know anything about it. I didn't know that situation, I didn't know that person was sick, I didn't know that difficulty, and because of you, you shared it with me, but people just assume that pastors know everything and we don't, we don't. But there's a flip side to that coin too. And the flip side is that many people, well, many people don't know just how much I do know about a situation. And that's important, especially when it comes to discipleship. Whether God supernaturally gives me that information, or because of the communication here among pastors or whatever it might be, many times as I'm sitting down with someone, they have no idea what I know. And that helps to my advantage in serving you well. Because as I'm serving you, my responsibility is to get you connected to Jesus. He's the counselor. He's the one that's gonna help you. He's the one that's gonna give you wisdom. But if you don't walk in the truth, then you'll never get there. Because the pathway to God is truth, not deceit not lies. It is never a good thing to lie. Did you know that? Never. Not a good thing to lie. It's not a good thing to walk in deceit, especially in relationships, especially with our marriages. Deceit is not from the Lord. So as you're sitting there, and this has happened many times, and yesterday when I was sharing this, one example came to mind. But as I'm sharing this, as, as I'm sitting there with you, as you're talking It's important that my responsibility is to get you talking and get you talking a lot because through the information you give me, I can pray over it and see if the Lord might give me a word to help you. And the more you talk, the more you reveal your heart (laughs) because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So listening is a very important skill in ministering to people. And as you're talking, I remember one instance in particular that came to light right to the top. As the brother was talking, you know, with this accusation and these things going on, he obviously did not know that I knew a lot more than he thought I knew. And as he was talking, he was blatantly speaking falsehoods. It it was crystal clear. But I didn't tell him that. But the Lord impressed this verse in me in Nehemiah. Uh, where Nehemiah says, no, this is not true. You make these things up in your heart. And I knew exactly what I was dealing with at that moment. I knew exactly that this was a manipulative situation that wanted to cause division, that he wasn't walking in the truth, and God just said, stand your ground. And it was a room full of, you know, it was a very difficult situation. It was very hard. Lots of witnesses there. But it's important that you realize that if someone comes to you and says they're speaking on behalf of God and what they say doesn't line up with the facts, they are not from God. They're not from God. And whether it's accusations or gossip or barbs thrown, you know, because we get letters here all the time. You know, we get things coming through. Um, sometimes they're anonymous. And just in case you ever want to write an anonymous letter to me or some anonymous DM on social media or whatever, let me just tell you what we do with them. We trash them. Without, we don't got no time for that. Like, if you don't have, you don't want to have a real conversation, you just want to give these. And I mean, sometimes we get these letters, you have to open them just to separate to get them in the shredder. Like, there's so many. And almost always it's, Thus saith the Lord, if you don't do this, you're a horrible pastor, I'm going to judge your church. Dude, I don't even know who you are. So, zzzz, zzzz, I don't even see them. They go to someone else. But, but these letters come through with these accusations, these barbs, slander, even with people's names on them, but they don't line up with the facts, and therefore they're not accepted. They aren't speaking on behalf of God. That's something you want to look for. Thirdly, thirdly, is the prophecy honoring to Jesus Christ. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? But I want to give you a way where Jesus is dishonored through false prophets that you may or may not realize. But Jesus is dishonored through false prophets, through false prophecies, lies, deceit, yes. But he is also dishonored where someone uses the legitimacy of some gift to draw people after themselves. That is dishonoring to Jesus. And that person is not to be followed. They are to be rejected. It is divisive and difficult. I mean, not just let alone they're not telling you the truth. Let alone that they were false. And the false prophets listening right now, they know who they are. They know what they're doing. They know the shenanigans they're into. They know the draw. They know it all. It's not new to them. And when you think of this, those that are prophesying falsely, trying to take authority over your life, trying to take authority over my life, God did not send them. God does not use them. And we are to reject them. I mean, obviously if somebody tells you, oh, Jesus isn't the way, follow Michael the archangel, that's an obvious one. Worship this little idol, don't follow them. Any any kind of idol, of course. But it's also dishonoring to Jesus when a man or a woman says they're speaking on behalf of Jesus, but they only call you to themselves. So you can wait for the new prophecy, and you can wait for the new book, and you can wait for the new video. What are you talking about? Go serve the Lord, share the gospel, and all the weird stuff that they're sharing, all the, it's just not true, it's just not true. And as a man that's gonna have to stand before God and give account for my ministry, I'm telling you right now, don't do it, repent from it, and come back to the truth. And plug into a church somewhere that's teaching the word of God and pointing you to Jesus Christ, okay? That's very important. So you don't wanna follow false teachers and they should be thankful that we don't follow Deuteronomy 18 and 13 penalty anymore. <laughs> because the penalty for a false prophet is stoning. And yet now, by the grace of God, God is patient with them to repent. And that's a good thing. The gift is wonderful in the church, and I want to close today with some characteristics of the person that has it, like some danger signs to look for, some hazards. It's a beautiful gift. We need more. Do you know if more of, more of you that have this gift would operate in this gift? you know there would be less sin in this church? Not just the church, this church. Like God would reveal to you. God would reveal to you a word. You don't need, it's not necessarily God would say, that person has sinned, that person has, like we're not creating a new ministry of sin sniffing, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if you're just in your daily devos and God says, send this text or call this person and you do it, on the other end, God's working to bring conviction on that person and boom, that text goes, oh my gosh, I'm busted oh my goodness, God's calling me to himself. Let alone the Lord may give you a, a word of wisdom like that. But this guy's making it up, and you just look at me. and You're making it up, and it actually unravels a whole life of sin they've been in. If you would exercise this gift in the biblical way, there would be less sin in this church. However, you got to watch out in your personality. So let's look at a few of them. Number one, for the person that has this gift, number one, you may lack sensitivity to others' feelings. You may lack sensitivity to others' feelings. Why? Because you're a black and white person. And feelings are in the gray zone. (laughs) And so, no, this isn't feelings. Don't follow your feelings. Don't think of your feelings. Just do what's right. Just do what's right. Which often can make things worse. Because you've got the right information, but you're delivering it the wrong way. Remember what Paul told the Ephesians? He says you need to learn how to speak the truth in love. And already you're thinking, I am in love. It doesn't, doesn't seem that way. It doesn't seem that way. So you want to be more sensitive. Other hazards surrounding sensitivity. And you might hear these things about your life. You should pray about them. But things like you're too judgmental. You're hypercritical. You come off as very condemning. You don't like the word compromise. Any kind of compromise. Like, like there's good, you know there's good compromise and bad compromise. Bad compromise is spiritual compromise. You don't want to compromise in your walk with the Lord, compromise with sin, that's bad. But in a marriage, compromise is needed every moment of every day. Learning how to die to yourself, serving your spouse. In singleness, compromise may be needed in meeting someone in the middle. Not compromising your spiritual life, but meeting someone in any relationship. Meeting someone in the middle. Showing preference to someone. Another thing about sensitivity is you really don't... You, the, the bottom line is this. You really don't care how people feel or think. You're just the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. Yeah, but be nice. Be nice. And if you don't care how people feel, please start caring. It's not a badge to wear. It doesn't... It's not... You could be more useful if you cared more, and you considered the person in front of you. Uh, Here's another one, pride. Pride is a big issue. Since insensitivity creates pride, and pride will, will manifest this way. Because you're giving words and God is using you, at other times you are wrong. You are wrong a lot in what you shared, but you never really doubt yourself. Everyone else is wrong, you're never wrong. Now remember, If you're operating this gift, there's a difference between saying, I'm the prophet and that God is always speaking through me, and coming to someone and saying, you know, I think the Lord has a word for you. In that case, you could be wrong. You could share something wrong. You could have like Agabus. Agabus had a strong word. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. But you know what God's will for Paul was? To go to Jerusalem and die. So he had part of the truth, but he had the wrong conclusion. And so there are times when you are wrong. And if you go along going, I'm never wrong, I'm never wrong, I'm the only one that speaks from God, you're going to jack yourself up and a lot of other people. That's not how the, that's not how the gift is operated. And you also, another thing to watch out for in insensitivity is you, you have an attitude of always being right about everything. And maybe you have been called by some as a know-it-all in the world and spiritually. You just got to watch out for that. And then the opposite gift of this, on the other side of the spectrum, is mercy. Mercy is very in tune with your emotions, very in tune with others' emotions. And for people that have the prophetic gift, they think mercy people are backslidden whiners. And you'll get to that in a second as we get into further studies. So, which would speak to you being very judgmental, right? It all fits. Number two, this is important to realize. If you have to get the prophecy, you are often discouraged, It can be a very discouraging gift to exercise. Why? Well, first of all, people don't listen to you because they don't want to hear what you have to say. But since you're speaking on behalf of God, they don't want to hear what God has to say. That's all it is. They don't listen to you. You you think of Elijah going, oh, no, nobody wants to listen to me. I'm all alone. He was very discouraged. People don't want to listen to you, and that discourages you. Not only that, they may even start to despise you Remember, they like the comfort a lot more than the exhortation. Maybe they despise you, or even worse, and this can be very discouraging, people may even start to purposely avoid you, and that's hard. It's like, why is, never, why is nobody around? Why when I show up, everybody leaves? Well, they don't want to hear the word, and it can be very lonely and discouraging, Another thing that's discouraging is that when you share something, nobody ever takes it at face value. They always go, I need to test it. I need to pray about it. But you have to understand that they're doing what the Bible says to do. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 20, don't despise prophecies, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. So people are testing what you say. That's a good thing. Don't be discouraged over that. However, it can build up. And then thirdly, the final thing to watch out for with this personality is You can get too excited in exercising the gift, losing self-control, which causes confusion. Confusion. One of the important things the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 32 is this. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And that is one of the reasons why we have an orderly service for the teaching of God's word. We have an orderly service because in this time period we've set aside, it is the gift of pastor teacher that is being exercised among us. And that's why we don't allow someone over there to get up with a tongue and start yelling out in tongues and we don't let this person over here start to prophesy and start to yell and it gets all chaotic like it was happening in 1 Corinthians. Or if somebody comes and says, and says, I have a word and they're all careless and they're excited and they're hurting people and we go, stop it brother, this is not the right time, not the right place, not the right way and if they cop an attitude, oh, I couldn't control myself, the spirit came upon me, that's not true. That cannot be true. The spirit of God will not come upon you to hurt other people and to confuse other people. The Bible says God's not the author of confusion So the conclusion is that you weren't in the spirit, you were in the flesh. And then they'll say, prove it to me, Pastor, prove it to me. You just don't like the gifts. You don't think the spirit is a dead church. Dude, read your Bible. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. The fruit of the spirit, Galatians 6, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And if someone was to jump up with a tongue here today, which we believe in the gift of tongues, we would stop the service and wait for an interpretation. And if there is no interpretation, we say stop. If there is an interpretation, the elders will judge it, and then we will ask that person with the gift, stop it. The Holy Spirit is operating right now through the teaching of God's word. You are drawing all attention to yourself. There are other places to exercise those gifts. Here, you know, your personal private prayer closet, you you can exercise that gift all you want. But what happens is, it's such a demonstrative gift that people want to be known and seen by that gift. But God wants to be known and seen, not you. When we come to the gifts, understand this, the emphasis of the gifts is upon the giver, not the gifts. Don't forget that. It is all about God and what He wants to accomplish in and through His church in these last days. And so the recap is God has given some men and women in the church the supernatural ability to take his word and cause it to shine. So good, so good. Father, thank you for this word that you've given us today that we might be able to complete it and just soak it all in. I pray for those that are caught up under false pretenses and false teachers and they've got this YouTube guy and this YouTube gal and this email and this book and this guy that's always, oh, I got something new, I got something new, I got something new. And your Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. But we want the true new covenant expression of this gift. We need men and women to speak edification, exhortation and comfort in our church.